Welcome to Business Environment Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast series, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about how they effectively navigate the internal and external environment of their businesses in a way that balances the needs and demands of all stakeholders, but also maximizes performance. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. Nia Yari Giam, Jaganba, Na Gayabu, Yarawa Peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giyabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Our guest for this episode has had a diverse career moving through the manufacturing, construction and aviation industries. Apart from the wide range of senior positions he has held in those sectors, Phil Gregory has also held board positions on the Toowoomba Chamber of Commerce, Southern Queensland Country Tourism and John Darien Woolshed. Phil currently serves on the board of Ability Enterprises. He has recently made the move from the private sector to the public sector, starting a new position as the Director of Projects, Property and Planning for the Darling Downs Hospital and Health Service. Phil provides leadership for health infrastructure planning and construction across the Darling Downs and South Bennett regions of Queensland. Phil Gregory, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate the time. Phil, you've got a really interesting career and a really interesting job right now um, with the Darling Downs Health Service. Can you tell me a little bit about your career, how you got to where you are now, and also what you're doing in this role at the moment? Sure. So you're right. I have had an interesting career. It's um, been a little interesting ride along the years. Uh, I suppose the last 35 years I've been in the workforce. I started off as a young lad straight out of school, and I actually joined the Air Force for a while. I was in the supply branch. Uh, during that time, I went back to university part-time and then left the Air Force and joined a company by the name of Toowoomba Foundry in Toowoomba. So um, Toowoomba Foundry was a traditional old economy business in the cast iron and uh, brake disc world um, machine shop style business. It was a great little business. Uh, I worked my way up the ladder there, starting off in sales and then moved into becoming the purchasing manager and then into um, what was called their factory support services manager. So I basically looked after uh, all the back-of-house stuff, so warehousing, distribution, training, quality, all those sort of services. And from there I moved into a company by the name of Wagners and I uh, led their QA for a while and then I moved into a general management role. So I was I was managing their reinforcing business to start with and then I moved into concrete quarries and transport businesses. Uh, from there I moved to Borrell and uh, did pretty much the same role for Borrell that I was doing for Wagner. So I was managing their uh, concrete quarries and transport businesses for southwest Queensland. I got a tap on the shoulder after a while and I moved back to Wagner. So I was leading their property development business and during that property development business, we, um, we were looking at building an airport in Toowoomba, um, Wellcamp Airport, and I was lucky enough to give, be given the opportunity to uh, lead that. And so originally I was uh, through to a fully operational airport, so literally standing in a paddock with cattle wandering around us. We were standing there with drawings and saying, well, we'll put the runway here and the terminal there and all those sorts of things. And then we built the airport and I got to run it for about three years after it became operational. Then an opportunity came up with Queensland Health, uh, which is the role I'm 
with NAUSA, I now lead their um, their projects, property and planning division for the Darling Downs region, so which is basically their capital business. So I look after construction of hospitals, uh, major major projects, major capital projects, clearing land, selling land, that that sort of thing for South across the Darling Downs. It's a pretty interesting job. In fact, I really enjoy it because you don't get to build hospitals very often in your life, so it's pretty exciting. <laughs> no, and you don't get to build airports often in your life either. I'm sure that building an airport must have had a real effect on getting the job and also the knowledge that you now have to be able to apply to the job. Absolutely. It was really interesting. When we were, I remember we first knocked on the door of Casser in Canberra and said, we're going to build an airport. There, there was these sort of stunned looks around the table and, and looks of disbelief. And I remember one of the senior members from CASA said to us, we actually don't know what to do here because there hasn't been a new Greenfield public airport built in Australia for 50 years. So there's no one in this office that actually was here the last time an airport was built. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we had a lot to learn. Uh, so it's, it's a, that was, you know, that was a great time in my life. I just love building that airport. It's, it's, it's uh, probably my proudest moment. Um, in my career, was building that airport, and uh, you know, being part of a team that was, um, you know, we we were pretty naive in some respects, but we we were bold enough, I suppose, to have a, a red hot crack and and it, and it worked for us, and uh, we learnt a lot, and we um, got over a lot of barriers, but it was lots of fun at the same time. Now we're going to talk a little bit about that today in terms of the internal forces within a business environment, but also the external forces as well. And I'm, I'm sure there must have been particular things that were going on internally and externally that made an environment in which you could undertake that massive project of building an airport or indeed now you're looking at building a hospital. But if we can go back to basics and, and think about how would you describe a business environment? I've actually learned a lot in the last uh, couple of years since I've moved over to the public sector. It's, it's I find it very different in the public sector to the private sector. So my private sector life, I think my business environment was more affected by external influences, uh, whereas in the public sector, I, I think it's more influenced by internal, by the internal environment. So, for example, in, in, in my private sector world, external influences, whatever you can plan for, you can plan for seasonality, you can plan for slight changes in technology or, or those sorts of things. But you, you can't plan for disasters and you can't plan for political decisions that are out of your control. But we were always focused on what our opposition were doing and what was happening in the outside world in the private sector. Whereas in the public sector, we're very focused on our, our internal world. For example, say a political decision is probably a part of the external environment traditionally, but for in our world, in the public sector world, it's actually in it creates a lot of internal issues or opportunities or, or whatever in the, in the public sector. So it's a, it's a different way of thinking about it. And I, and I must admit I have actually struggled with that when I first moved to the public sector. But it's, 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 a, it's, a, different, it's a different challenge. So to what extent do you think a business environment impacts on strategic planning then decision-making, operational activities? Again... If I compare the two, if I think about um, my, my life in the private sector, we did a lot of work on our strategic plan. We had our, um, our you know, we'd, like most of the organisations, we'd have our annual strategic planning a couple of days where you go away for a couple of days. Um, and 
we would focus on, we'd stick strategically for a couple of days and then you'd get back into the reads a bit. The public sector is, you know, we actually love a good strategic planning section in the public sector, which I sometimes think the pensioners need to swing back in, in my private sector days, I would I used to get frustrated that we didn't plan enough and we were always at the front line fighting the battles, whereas here we, we seem to, sometimes we over plan, I feel, we um, we need to um, let the pendulum swing back a bit and stop planning and maybe do a bit more doing. That's just my observation for coming across. And I think that the way that we think strategically is different too. I find the public sector is very uh, risk-adverse, uh, and, and particularly in health, you know, and, and for very good reasons in health, you need to be risk-averse. You, you don't want your surgeon taking risks while they're operating on you, do you? But you need to find that balance, I suppose, between risk versus reward. Um, in our you know, private sector, you, you look at a risk and risk is an opportunity. In the public sector, sometimes we think that uh, risk is something we need to avoid. So so in the in the public sector then, you're, you're looking at, I guess, especially with a hospital, something that needs to succeed of course, private businesses need to succeed as well, but there seems to be a much bigger political fallout, at least, if a public sector thing like a hospital fails to deliver. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that, that's probably the, the number one pressure point. It is, it is a balancing act between those, I suppose, those political pressures as part of our strategic planning. We, we need to know where we're heading, but we also need to... F- to find that balance of the political side along the way. Do you, do you think comparing the two that your leadership in both of those areas, private and public, has been influenced by the environment in which the businesses are functioning? Yes, yes, it has. Um, I, I think I'm a different leader in this role than, than I was in my previous roles, both for good reasons. In the private sector, I was probably more management by objectives focused, I suppose. Um, we, we would look at the, you know, the environment that we're, we're working toward, working in and say, well, how do we achieve um, what we need to and then set those objectives and go for it. In the public sector, I've found it's probably more leadership by support. How do we get past the barriers of making things happen? So how do we fight the bureaucracy? How do we challenge ourselves to do something differently because... The public service has always done it this way. How, how do we make this? How do we make this happen in, in a short time while still following all the rules? Um, so it's it's a different style of leadership. It's 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 about supporting my team while while they struggle with those barriers. Whereas the previous role was about, was about setting a direction and, and getting everyone hyped up and saying let's go and let's make this happen and letting the team loose a little bit more. So there there is that kind of common idea in the private and public spaces, that that private space can take risks, can run with things, can push very hard to make something happen quickly, whereas public is a, is a slower moving train. How has those two examples of how businesses operate, how does that influence the decisions you make on a day-to-day basis as a leader? It's, it can be difficult. Um, I think it's, it's sometimes about helping my team to get out of the reeds, so to speak, um, and just challenging them, giving them the opportunity to, to think a little bit differently. How do we turn this around in our favour or how do we how do we turn this problem into something to our advantage? One thing I, I talk about with my team a lot here now is that we're all in sales. Every, everyone in business is in sales. It doesn't matter what role you're in. You're selling something and um, 
whether it's whether it's selling a product to a customer or it's selling yourself to your to your boss or whether it's selling an idea to your your board. Every single person is selling something, and I, I like to um, get my team excited about selling selling the dream to what they're working working towards. So we we talk a lot about that in my my team meetings about how do we how do we bring everyone along for the ride? How do we sell sell the dream to them? How do we get them excited about this to make to make things happen? Has there been any cultural pushback, I guess, towards yourself coming from a private sector role to a public sector role? What I'm talking about here is, has anyone said to you, I know you did that, I know you built that airport and you did it quickly, but that's not how it works here? Yes. A lot, <laughs> uh, lots and lots, um, and I really struggled with that when I first started here, uh, and I still do, still do. You know, my career, if you look through my career, I've been a doer. I've, I've been a, a get things done sort of guy, and that's probably my, my strength. You know, I've got lots of weaknesses, but probably my my number one strength is I'm good at things, good, good at making things happen, and I'm reasonably good at getting people to get excited about things and come along for the ride. When I came into this role. That's the bit I struggled with the most because I'd come into a meeting and get everyone excited and trying to get everyone excited and they'd give me five reasons why something couldn't happen rather than five reasons why something could happen. And and one of the issues I've struggled with is that sometimes we're more focused on the process than the outcome. And uh, I've actually I actually remember sitting in a meeting one day and I first started and, and the result was a bad result, but everyone was happy because we'd actually followed the process really well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said to him, what's going on here? Um, this is not the right outcome. You know, we've ticked all the boxes as far as process goes. And, and I get it, we're, we're dealing with um, public money, so process is incredibly important. We need to be careful that we don't at least focus on what, what are we actually trying to achieve here, what is the outcome we're after, and uh, sometimes we've got to wonder whether the process is more important than the outcome. So that's a really telling story about the two different cultures that exist in, in the private and public sectors. It is, it is. And there's, there's, there's also a balance between the two. So in the in my private sector life, there's a real sense of urgency of everything we did and doing a deal was a high five moment. You know, I, I love doing a deal and so you get excited about doing a deal. And so it's a great environment to work in because it gets you pumped up and so on. However, there's, there's risks associated with that as well. So if you think banking royal commission, I reckon there's a lot of high fives going on in the banks about doing good deals and so on, but a lot of shortcuts taken. And same with you know, same safety. You know, you've got to be careful that you don't pump your team up so high that they're they're so focused on doing the deal and getting to the high five moment that they take shortcuts and safety or all those sorts of things. So just finding that balance. So when you were building the airport um, as part of the Wagner team, what were some of the biggest business environment? influences both external and internal that either helped you along the way or got in your way? Certainly in our way was the perception that we could do it. So particularly from external parties such as the um, regulating authorities. I can remember our first meeting with CASA. We came in saying that we we're going to build this airport in 18 months and um, they said come back to us in five years when you've got your act together and we'll, we'll talk. That was a fair bit of the culture that we were facing to start with. Um, but as we as we proved ourselves, we, we got some, I suppose, a bit of street cred and um, people started taking us seriously. I remember when I first started attending airport conferences and aviation conferences, you know, I didn't know anything about the aviation industry. Um, we, we were uh, construction guys 
with um, big ideas. We didn't know a lot about aviation, a little bit, not, not a huge amount. And um, I remember going to these aviation conferences and telling, you know, you meet someone, a cup of coffee at the break, and they say, what are you doing? Oh, we're going to build an airport. And you could see their eyes close over and all rolled, <laughs> rolled in the back of the head. And I'd say, you know, who, who are these clowns? Actually, I got a lot of great satisfaction out of the first few conferences I went to. That's exactly what happened. People thought I was a crazy person. And um, two years later, I was the peanuts baker at the Australian Airports Association conference as we opened our airport. So that, was, that was a lot of fun. The ex- external environment was probably initially very negative. But it changed, and as as projects started to take up, and uh, as people would actually see that it was serious, and our external environment really changed, and it turned around uh, like 180 degrees. It was incredible. So it went from those those eye rolling moments at the conferences to pretty much every politician in Queensland and, and Australia wanted to come and be seen on the on the construction site. The airlines started getting excited. Other airports started to pay attention. Um, so it, it changed a lot. And and did you have to work on changing that, or was it a process of just letting that happen by itself? No, we worked on it. We worked on it a lot. Uh, we were very aware of it, and we were very aware that we were seen as cowboys being naive. I'm sure, we knew what we were talking about when it came to construction, but we didn't know about aviation, and that was rightly, rightly the perception. So we're very, very uh, aware of it, and worked very hard at changing that. So. Between myself and John and uh, some other members of our team, we spent a lot of time. We went to every conference you can think of. We went to every meeting, think of every opportunity to meet other people in the industry. We went to those. Yeah, we had a really high profile wherever we could and slowly but surely started to gain some credibility. So it was, it was a very deliberate tactic of ours to be out in the industry being seen. Did you consult uh, with known aviation figures so that, you could obviously learn from them and they could help you design that airport, but also that you could gain credibility from their association? Absolutely. Mostly that we didn't know anything about aviation. We, we had experts in our team. We had some serious big hitter experts in our team. One person in my team was uh, an ex-Jumbo jet pilot, ex-Air uh, Force fighter pilot. Um, we had airport designs, we had airport engineers, um, in, in, the, in the team, so we actually did have some serious skills as part of our team. And as, as we got that, as we slowly, surely, I suppose, created that um, credibility, people came along, came on board with us. If you have these experts in your team, were they on board with you from the beginning? Airport designers, for instance, if you're an airport designer and, and you've never done an airport in this way before, are they buying into the way that you're doing it? Yes and no. So some know, um, and some of the bigger organisations know. And I can remember going to a couple of consultants who didn't even bother to give us pricing. They thought they were wasting their time. And then once once the project got legs, they had the nerve to come knocking on the door asking for work. That one went. That one went into the memory bank. It was interesting. Some people could some people could see the dream. The one consultancy company in particular really got on board, board early and they, you know they believed in it as much as we did and they, they joined in and, and they gave they gave us a fair bit of credibility uh, and same with the engineering company we did the engineering company that we used was actually quite a small one they'd, they'd built runways and uh, airports before but they weren't a huge multinational as such and i think they saw it as a real opportunity so they were excited by the opportunity whereas if you went to some of the bigger 
multinationals needs to be cynical about it. And so I think by focusing on, by bringing in our team, we had smaller, more nimble organisations who really believed in us. So there's a real importance there in making sure that, first of all, and, and maybe more important than anything else, that everybody's on board, everyone has the same dream and belief. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I am such a believer in that. As I said earlier, you have to sell the dream. People have to be on board. My skill set as, as a leader, as I mentioned earlier, so, so I, I think I'm pretty good at getting things done, but I think I'm also reasonably good at motivating the team. I, I like to get people excited and we head for those high five moments and that's that's a big part of it is, is getting people on board, getting them excited and everyone heading in the same direction because they want to, you know, they believe. Believing is just so important. How do you think having an understanding of the business environment as a leader changes how the business operates, how effective it is at achieving its outcome? Well, I think it's critical. Um, if you don't understand what's happening around you or within your organisation or without outside of your organisation, how on earth are you going to be successful? You need to understand what's happening. I suppose the classic example that everyone talks about is Kodak. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kodak, Kodak they, they had no idea what was coming towards them. They didn't see it coming or maybe they did see it coming and they didn't react and they failed miserably. And it's now Kodak who? You know, my, my kids don't know who Kodak, Kodak were. And strangely, they had one of the, the the first digital cameras, and and yet you know yet we are you know in a position where they're getting bailed out by by governments now. So, Phil, I want to end on any advice that you can give to students from USQ, our MBA graduates. What advice would you give to them as they're coming into new leadership roles about the understanding of business environments? I think. What I would say is complacency is death. Everyone's heard this before, but doing what you've always done is not going to work. The world changes. You know, what we were doing two years ago is different to what we're doing now, and what we're doing now will be different in two years' time. Complacency is, is death. You need to be thinking about what's happening around you. What are your competitors doing? What's happening politically? What's happening in, in the legal sector? What, what's the new technology that's going on? You can't necessarily plan for disasters like COVID, but you need to be able to plan for disasters. So understanding that there's a potential disaster coming, whether it be a COVID or whether it be a weather event or whether it be a financial crisis, you need to be aware of how the external environment's changing and you also need to be aware of how your internal environment's changing how the culture of your organisations is changing over time. I've seen, you know, I've seen organisations over the years where a family business has been dynamic and they've made things happen and then the second generation comes along and, you know, they've, they're probably not as hungry as their parents around the business and so they sure the business gets complacent and by the time the third generation comes along, it's, it's gone. Just You need, just need to be aware of your internal environment particularly around culture, I think. I think that's probably the number one thing I'd focus on internally is understanding culturally how your organisation's going. And, you know, obviously internal factors such as finance and your maintenance and all those sorts of things, they're they're, they're key parts of running a business. But me personally, I think that's the the two big ones for me is is culture and um, just being aware of what's going on outside of your business, not not getting sucked into your own business world. Phil Gregory, that was a great insight between the public 
and the private sectors, the differences between them in terms of business environment. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure, Daniel. I enjoyed it. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast produced by the Office for the Advancement of Learning and Teaching.